0: We are The Existentialists. Four existential psychotherapists invite you to join us in a dialogue about what it means to live an existentially tuned life.
1: Your hosts are
0: Xavier Williams, therapist in Vancouver, Canada.
2: Janelle Drizner, therapist in Edmonton, Canada. Chelsea Stenner, therapist in South Surrey, Canada. And Mihaela
1: Lounano, therapist in Vancouver, Canada.
0: Hello and welcome to episode nine of series two of the Existentialist Podcast. And uh, today we're going to be encountering the moral conscience, or, or actually more accurately, our moral conscience. That's mine, yours. Mahila's Chelseas, um, and, and we'll take you through um, really what the moral conscience is, and particularly in uh, existential analysis, it's a, a very specific uh, 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 and distinct concept to say what we might uh, collectively understand as conscience, and certainly um, different, um, especially different from what um, a lot of psychologists will talk about, um, the superego, um, and it's not just having Jiminy Cricket or, um, you know, an angel on your one shoulder and a devil on your other shoulder. It's a, a little bit more complex, but certainly uh, I know when I learned the concept, what it was um, very illuminating and and, and curiously um, uh, liberating, actually much more liberating than just kind of having a, a superego as a conscience. Um, so yeah, so where do we start, and and how do we uh, t- tell our listeners about um, the moral mm-hmm. conscience and pr- and help them with their moral conscience?
1: Yeah, thank you, sir. Well, I like the Jiminy Cricket uh, kind of where you started there. So yeah, so with the Jiminy Cricket, uh, actually, for even when I um, when I took the training and we talked about moral conscience, Jiminy Cricket came up anyway you know, for me like um, not as an external. Uh, thing, on, or on my shoulder, but like more like that, um, I, because I remember Jiminy Cricket in Pinocchio, actually it's uh, is the voice of the moral conscience, even if it's externalized for the sake of the movie and the, the book, but like it is that uh, tiny voice, but firm voice, that uh, tells Pinocchio um, the right thing, or like uh, invites him to ask himself once or twice, maybe if this is truly what corresponds to him, if it's truly what he wants to do and if it is the right thing for him in the bigger context of his life. So maybe we can start by saying that moral conscience is that uh, kind of inner voice, that capacity Mm -hmm. to um, attune to um, my knowing of what is right for me, not for the entire society, because what may feel right for me uh, may not feel right for you all the time, so it's a it's really a personal capacity of um, sensing, knowing what is right in a given situation, and we'll talk more about the fact that uh, a very common question, and um, people mistrust moral conscience because they say, well, so do you mean that if it feels right, it is right, right? And if it feels right for me, I should just do it. What about the others? What about the um, social norms, expectations. So it's not a, a moral conscience. it's not just selfish. It's personal. But maybe we talk more about that. But what is what feels right for me, if it is right, it's rarely causing harm to others.
2: I think that's a really good point because um, a lot of people, especially if I talk about coming to like a personal position on something, that seems to be the kind of main critique or um, someone will say, okay, well, that can become like a runaway train Then, if I feel like it's right, then I should do it. It's okay to do it. And so I think that that might be important to elaborate on what you were saying there, that there's more um, to take into account.
1: Yeah, another thing that I, um, again, I remember that uh, from when I took the training in existential analysis and um, the self-reflection, self-experience in the groups, that uh, kind of um, uh, a way to look at it is like to think if if someone would be in my shoes or if I were in someone else's shoes who is dealing with a moral dilemma, considering that I, I would have the same access to the same information and exactly the same context and hierarchy of values, I would feel what is right the same as the other person. So there is that shared um, experience of what is right, and again, what is personal and what is what feels right uh, is not harmful. Like if we say, "Well, yes, I acted morally, but I harmed people," maybe it's worth reflecting: Is it was it truly right? But I guess it's it's really it's really difficult. We don't we don't talk about this. I remember at a presentation in. Argentina at the um, Congress of Existential Therapy, that we even said that uh, in our presentation that the word moral conscious barely appears in any ethical codes or um, codes of ethics for psychologists or counselors. So we don't really talk about moral conscience. So we are suspicious sometimes.
0: Yeah, I- indeed, and, and <coughs> it kind of it reminds me of a an example that I can relate. Um, but just because something might feel right and and be you know kind of moral in your sense doesn't mean you have to do it um uh and sometimes even when something is contrary to your moral conscience it may be that you have to do it as well and so um the the example i have was um before i uh, studied psychology i i did a, a, a graduate, uh graduate program in um in, uh, human rights law and one of the professors there, a guy called, uh, Costas Duzinas, um, uh, had talked about the, the famous example about, with terrorism and about where the torture was permissible. And, uh, and, uh, so he takes the, 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 the example of the ticking time bomb. So you've got a terrorist and there's a bomb that's going to go off and, and only that person has the information and, and if you can get it out of them, you can save however many people. And, um and so then the question is is it permissible to to torture that person and the way he resolves it is by saying i would in that specific scenario in that you know very conditional scenario he said i may agree to do it he said but i would never seek to justify it because it would be be so contrary to my moral conscience so he he would recognise maybe the value of trying to save other people, but he would never try and convince you that he did a had it made a moral act by torturing somebody, mm-hmm. which is a little bit kind of you kind of go there's a bit of distance in there, mm-hmm. but but I think in in his intention in his desire to to say I still don't like this, mm-hmm. even if maybe it has to be done.
1: Thank you, thank you for that example. That's also incredibly hard dilemma. I think for <laughs> all of us who would be in that situation. But what you are saying uh, is like that we sometimes act against our moral conscience that we have that freedom. we are even free from our moral conscience and we can act against it it's but as this person seemed to imply it's it's hard and it's it puts us in in a distinctive state of turmoil and even pain. If we are, if we know that we are doing something that doesn't feel right to us, to our, to ours, to us personally, and it's it's truly hard when values like you know saving more people uh, seem to cla- to be clashing with, the, you know, not torturing and not harming another person. Do you know why? How come he chose the that alternative over not harming? One person.
0: Um. So I'm. I'm not sure. I, I can't remember. Um. The whole um argument. Uh, I could look it up somewhere, and I'll try and link it in for sh- in the show notes. But um. Essentially, what he was trying to communicate was that uh, saying that I- that torture is you know justifying it in that instance kind of is essentially tantamount to to saying well torture is justifiable, and he would say probably not. So he's kind of, I think he's maybe allowing an exception rather than making a rule in that instance, I think. Um, but certainly it was, uh, what I really understood from it, less intellectually and more kind of, you know, kind of um, uh, intimately was was the turmoil that you referred to. That even if he had to do it, it would never sit right with him. Mm-hmm. And and that, I think that, that really, I, re- I remember that really striking me.
1: A- and I think that's exactly what uh, moral the moral conscious is or we feel the moral conscious uh, by um, what you describe It's a felt sense. And then the turmoil when it that comes and the pain that comes when we act against it, even if we find uh, rationale for that. But it it does start like when I ask you like, how did he make the decision, it sounded that he did explore and weigh all the values involved in that situation. So usually to connect and act from that place of moral consciousness, we have to be fully aware of all the values and the consequences implied in the certain situation. And then to tune in and to say from w- what is the right thing for me. And sometimes it's very hard, not just to tune in, but to to acknowledge to myself that this is is right for me because it, it may be costly
0: oh yeah it's it, it's 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 often slow mm-hmm. uh difficult mm-hmm. um and and requires it yeah, requires a lot of reflection and thought it's not a it's not a gut instinct mm-hmm. i mean it is but it isn't
1: <laughs> uh, i would say i would say it's very much a gut instinct i think we, we know it in our gut but it requires slowness.
0: Yeah, and w- w- what I meant was it's not l- it's not kind of like uh, an instant reaction, like yeah. right? That kind of gut instinct. I mean, it could be, but you know, a lot of people. Well, I just went with my gut. Uh, but some, but y- it also requires a, you know, reflection and dialogue and stuff.
1: I think it, I think it's not a reaction, but I would still think that it's a gut feeling, and that we we feel it in our gut, and our reason may try to convince us otherwise. But yeah, taking time. Taking time and slowing down.
0: Yeah, no, no. I'm um, really what I wanted to, to 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 distinguish was the the kind of the the gut instinct that is maybe um, colloquially referred to rather than an actual. Of course, it comes in, in your body.
1: Yeah, it's in at our very at our very core, like in in the stomach, really, and in the heart area. But the stomach is really involved. So when people say, "Yeah, my gut told me that," but I did the other thing. Well, then you have a a conflict there, and it was also another way to to kind of get a sense if it's my moral conscience. It's like, can I live with myself, and how do I live with myself if I um, decide this way versus the other? And this guy, probably that you brought up, <laughs> doesn't have a an easy time living with himself.
2: What strikes me is is if we can expand on that gut sense and that gut feeling in terms of what that actually can feel like. I know for me, um, when I notice it, it, it feels sometimes like a queasiness um, or a sense of something feeling a bit off in my stomach or um, something kind of feeling turned or shifted on the inside where it it just, it doesn't, it doesn't feel settled, um, doesn't feel grounded. And I think that's that, that feeling of how do I live with this feeling because it's, it is present and it is still there. And so there's a, at least for me, like an inner longing for it to shift and not to stay how it is when I get that feeling inside.
1: Yes. And and when, on the other hand, if, it feels right. Uh, for me, it's almost like a, a lightness and certainty. It's like it's a knowing that is 100% sure. And sometimes that's why sometimes it's not rational for sure. Like it's very quick and and we and sometimes I know what's right. Even if <laughs> my reason tries to say, well, maybe we should try some more. Maybe we should look at this and all that. But my my stomach yes, exactly what you said is like constantly giving signals that if it's not uh, aligned. So, but it's also the certainty and um, this is it, and uh, that knowing, that intimate knowing, when it's right.
0: Y- yeah, <coughs> the, the word lightness I think is always the one f- mm. for me. You know, whenever I've come to to a decision or or what I want to do, that I kind of almost look for that lightness. It, if I feel that, then I can, I almost have confirmation that, okay, this is okay mm-hmm. for me.
1: And, those, and also just to clarify that the lightness referred to that uh, felt sense, not to the lightness of the consequences. Because <laughs> you can suffer greatly, but it's that sense, uh, that moral sense that this is right.
0: Yeah, it's the opposite of the turmoil in the, in the stomach, right? Uh, I, but I literally kind of experience a uh, lightness.
1: And I wonder if we can also think about, Chelsea kind of opened the door for us, what happens if we don't pay attention to our moral conscience or we try to um, override it?
2: I know the line that I hear from clients quite a bit is, it's, it's eating me inside. It's eating me up. It's eating me inside. There's something that is um, festering or brewing. But that phrase of kind of eating up Like it, um, it kind of maybe rips away at the person.
0: (laughs) Yeah. The, the, the word, the word that came comes up for me is haunted, right? Uh It follows you always. There's that, um, the, the research by, I think it was her, her research, I presume, but she presented on it, um, uh, Sarah Kubrick, right. Talked about moral injury and, and, um, and she gave the example was the most fascinating thing I remember listening to about Romeo Dallaire, the the famous um, uh, Canadian general who was in Rwanda during the, the genocide and as he was commanding the UN forces and receiving commands, uh, orders from the United Nations not to intervene when he could see what was happening and how he came back from that experience, obviously with PTSD and everything, but... But what we what would be called a moral injury, because he went against his conscience, cause his conscience said you have to do something, mm-hmm. and he didn't, mm-hmm. because he was following his commands. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, th- I think he's still alive, yeah. and uh, I think I've seen s- things since about him, and it, it haunts him t- to this day.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the moral injury. Th- this is not just in the war situation or like uh, army. But it's, it's omnipresent in, in our life when, when we go against our moral conscience or when the context uh, constrains us to, to act against our moral conscience. Very common in nursing, well, they also call it like a moral distress, but it's also like a, a moral injury when um, the nurse, because of the system in which they work and taking commands from the physicians and all that, they, they sometimes feel that they are harming Patient rather than helping, but they still have to do certain procedures that inflict pain, or not to do procedures that relieve pain, and they are caught in that moral distress and moral conscious, uh, you know, turmoil, but also in uh, personal relationships like um, um, betrayals, infidelities, affairs like when someone knows to a certain level that they are acting <laughs> against. Their moral conscience it could be also like not necessarily not to blame like maybe the affair I mean also in Sarah's thesis since you mentioned people who um, chose another partner and they felt more you know attuned to their moral conscious also also they violated um, social norms right so that's also uh, could be paradoxical sometimes so in other words the moral conscience doesn't follow the social expectation sometimes
0: yeah, so th- so that's maybe a, a a good place to to talk about the difference between the moral conscience and the superego um, the the superego that kind of uh, Freud I presume was the, f- the first person to to come up with that and um that's the kind of that that other voice the louder voice I suppose, I suppose in a contrast that that says well don't do that it's wrong and it's typically a voice that that we've learnt, right it's that's been taught to us by parents by society by Churches, schools, you name it. Um, And it's more about social mores than conscience usually. Um, And um, I would suggest, I have no basis for this other than my own experience, that most people listening to this podcast are probably thinking about that as their conscience rather than listening kind of to that that quiet voice. I don't know what the two of you... Think of that.
1: Oh, I think we are way more, uh, as as I said, we are very suspicious, most of us, towards this uh, idea of tuning into what feels right for me. We don't trust it because we are not taught that way. And we'll talk about it, I hope, later. But yes, I think think probably, depending also where people are in their developmental process, right? I would assume someone is more life experience who has been through some heartbreaks and some difficult dilemmas may have more affinity for the felt sense of what is right but i would say yes like the social expectations and everything we internalize from parents school church and you know, all that <laughs> is haunting us and uh, the superego tends to be also louder and more unforgiving so we may be tempted to to subject ourselves to to those to that louder voice
0: yeah, and, and I think maybe the, the word that comes up for me for with superego is is allowed, right? Um and that's as in permission, not just allowed. Um yeah, w- what am I allowed to do as being what's right rather than what is actually right for me.
2: Yeah, what what is deemed as okay. And me and that I think also includes a lot of the time what other people think or what another group thinks those social norms like you said that we've grown up with
1: and for some people there um, yeah the fact that they want to be seen in a certain way to preserve reputation or to act in a way that preserves that also it's a uh, Uh, they are prone to act from a superego perspective and again not to demonize the superego because i think it's quite helpful without that we wouldn't have been toilet trained so probably we'll still (laughs) pee our pants (laughs) or like do other things (laughs) that will be really uh, harmful to each other so it has a role in being socialized
0: oh oh, absolutely i think the the importance is to recognize when one is acting out of superego and one is little moral conscience to, to not um, conflate the two or to not mistake one for the other
1: agrees agree so let's um let's talk about that how do we distinguish practically speaking so um I
0: I always see the superego as a cage um, a cage that's kind of imposed upon us if you can imagine just a cage coming descending over you now right and it's fixed from the outside it's taught it's learnt there's there's certain boundaries that you ought not to cross. Um and for some of us that is very rigid. For some of us it's a bit more maybe of a net. And for some it's you know, it's even electrified, right? So that not only are you not allowed, but even if you try and touch it, it 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 shocks you, it punishes you. Um that that's really kind of uh for for me how I how I imagine the super It's all
1: it's also more punitive more punishing more versus just offer on the other side like that it's um w- already said the moral conscience has a, a firm voice but a softer voice that is always on my side looking out for me for my interest like in the best way possible like for what is good for me like Jiminy cricket right for pinocchio going back to that and it's not um, doesn't have the harshness of that punitive Tendency the si- and it's not external, like going back to what you said about that external cage. It's um it's deeply personal. It's my voice. I recognize it's my voice. While with the super ego sometimes we recognize my mother's voice, my dad's voice, my teacher's voice, my you know, church voice, whatever. Is that there is a foreignness to the superego. Yeah, so that um, that means that Given that we are prone to act from the superego and because of how we are socialized, I wonder how can we cultivate this connection with the moral conscience? And even in um, education in children growing up. So maybe that's also a good place to to reflect on that. Like how and how to counterbalance a bit that's mistrust that um, if I do what feels right for me, that's selfish because that's a very common thing that i hear no i i cannot do that even if it feels right because that will hurt my parents or um, that will hurt my partner no i cannot tell the truth even if it is my truth and it's what i feel to be to, that is the right thing to do
2: within that i think the the uniqueness of the situation whatever it might be is really important for for that dialogue and to be able to um, look not only from one's perspective or vantage point, but like you said earlier, to also look from the other person's uh, or the other side uh, of the situation as well, um, to be able to to see what the values are, to see what um, the possibilities are and and then to come to that personal
0: choice. So, 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 not n- really, not a rule, mm-hmm. right? It's mm-hmm. not a. This is never allowed, or this is never right, or mm-hmm. it. Yeah, the unique circumstances. I like how you how you said that, Gels.
1: And, and also like what you said, us about the, the perception, a correct perception of all the values involved in the situation, and like really understanding the situation from all a- angles and. All the values involved, and then still um, sitting, <laughs> staying with myself, and um, trying to connect with with my core. I mean, the gut feeling, the my my gut area, to um, to detect that knowing what what is right for me, what feels right for me. And while I really appreciate what you said, it's like not to just focus on ourselves, but to take into consideration everything, like and the other parties involved. When we when we come in touch, with our moral conscious, It is, I come back to myself fully, while keeping the others right. Because when I am a, a person, we already said like as a person, I am relational. It's not just me ever. That's not my person. There is there is always in me the the what's important for others in there. But I, I just say that because sometimes people say, okay, I'm gonna talk to my partner about what to do, and then <laughs> what, and right. what that means is like. I will leave myself behind, and I hope someone from outside will tell me, or maybe something will emerge. Also, there are lots of people who instead of taking a position and kind of saying, okay, this is what is right, and go towards outside, hopefully, you know, if we talk with some other people, maybe something will emerge that uh, fits with me. So that's also another avoidance of one's own position and moral conscience by hoping that's by, I think we have a habit in our culture actually to yeah. dialogue. Or, or
2: by, by disengaging and waiting for something to change.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that too. Like the time will solve this. Yeah. But when also when we engage, like we have to have a meeting. I, I have a strong suspicion that maybe really mean for my part to say, but when we have a meeting, it's like because we have no idea and we don't want to risk to connect with our moral conscience and to take a position, and then, then we hope that if we meet and we talk, I'm talking about, <laughs> Sav looks at me like concern, like meetings, like the kind of meetings that I abhor, like when nothing is discussed, but actually it's just a, a way of <laughs> venting anxiety about not being able to take a position, and hoping that somehow magically, by knowing what others think, that will solve my moral problem. Well, that doesn't work. Uh, it,
0: it it sounds like a, a meetings where you that are designed to to allow people to abdicate responsibility.
1: Yes, 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 and I think that goes back to how we cultivate moral conscience and how we destroy it. Like I think those kind of meetings that are I think so widespread, when nobody wants to take responsibility, and looks for safety in that meeting, are excellent. Um, you know examples of how we destroy that capacity while like ha-
2: like hiding behind mm-hmm. group consensus,
1: yes, while mm-hmm. if allowing people to actually come to a position and and then have a dialogue rather than a meeting, that would be a better way
0: it's it it sounds like one of the um one of the in my opinion poor criticisms of atheism, right well without god then then well then, everything's permissible, and you could just be completely immoral. And then, of course, the response to that is you need somebody outside of you to tell you that you know killing somebody is wrong, right? It's it's it is yeah that that abdication of responsibility. And so, well, sorry, you know.
1: <laughs> well, yes, many people need to look outside for someone to tell them what is right. I would suggest, and now I, I hope I'm like you. I hope I don't. Offend anyone? I'm not like offering. I think most people. I have the tendency to look outside, for someone to tell them what is right, or at least to validate what they feel that is right.
0: Yep. Oh, yeah. I, I think I would agree with that. I think I would agree with that, for sure. Um, so then, uh, how do we? How, yeah, you've you've hinted at it, but how do we? Uh, I think the the, the phrase is train our moral conscience. How do we? facilitate, how do we nurture it is maybe a nicer word
1: Well, I think we, we nurture moral conscious by nurturing the the person, like by seeing uh, for example even with um, kids developmentally appropriately of course, not like since they were born, we ask them, so sit with your moral conscious and what is right, but like seeing the child for who that child is in their uniqueness, giving them choices early on, mm-hmm. like do you want to uh, drink the meal from the red cup or Green cup or something like that, or um, and treating them with respect, like taking their emotions seriously, their tantrums seriously, rather than punishing them and applying consequences and time out. Actually, um, respecting who they are and who they become, mm-hmm. seeing them, appreciating them, that is strengthening their sense of oh, I'm 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 a good person, I'm worth it, I'm I matter. And that uh, reflects in their capacity to to turn towards themselves, to trust themselves, mm-hmm. versus someone who is just uh, raised by the rules, and sometimes very oppressive rules, and only internalized uh, in their superego, those voices and rules. So I guess it really starts early, how we how we parent, and then the school. But I, I let you say <laughs> something before <laughs> I launch into my favorite subject. Yeah, no, I, I was
0: going to say, uh, okay, so m- given that, that I'm going to go out on a limb here saying that 100% of our um, listeners are not children, um, how, what about for those of us who maybe haven't been trained well or haven't been nurtured more in the rules um, in more kind of strict and severe and less um, personal responsibility kind of um, environments? How, how might we do that? How might the middle-aged uh, person... Tune in more.
1: Well, I think uh, by starting even what you suggested already, distinguishing between, uh, like, who is speaking in me? (laughs) Like, whose voice am I hearing and whose voice am I following? Like what you just said, when you invited I to distinguish between superego and moral conscience, like, do I always um, hear and listen to a voice that is harsh, punitive, uh, who gives me rules and consequences, like harsh consequences if... uh, I don't follow them. Do I feel caged when I make decisions? So even distinguishing that, uh, it's important. And then trying to to understand that and move away from that to the quiet place that is, again, usually in our gut area. And kind of really bringing our attention to that and asking ourselves, okay, if I quiet that voice, the loud voice, what, what do I hear? What... Uh, what do I feel? What do I sense that is right?
2: I'll I'll add that with that, just in working with a lot of folks that have left fundamentalist religion, for example, um, there can be like such a severing of the relationship with the self that somebody might not even know what that means or how to find that little voice inside or to enter the quiet place it can be just so so um severed or or didn't get to grow in the first place and so I think it also for somebody that is leaving that context and trying to find their own voice and that moral conscious I think it also requires a lot of self-trust to be able to do that because that that trusting of the self just hasn't hasn't been nurtured. So
0: how 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 would you how do you do that, Jill, with with your clients that come?
2: Can I can I say something?
1: I, I want to say just they not only that do they don't trust themselves, but there is no self yet. Yeah. And so it's not even mm-hmm. about trusting themselves. There is no self. Mm-hmm. It has been replaced with this harsh rules mm-hmm. and more than rules right so the for me it's not just how do they trust themselves but how do they develop a sense of self in that corresponds to who they are right and this is what pains me the most when i mm-hmm. have clients coming from these backgrounds that how um how they you robbed by they were robbed by the possibility of being themselves and developing themselves so i guess um, yes you can speak about trusting themselves but how do they develop themselves
2: Exactly. Well, I wouldn't. I probably, for myself, wouldn't go so far as to say there is no self, but I think that there is maybe a little, little seedling that that hasn't been able to be nurtured. That's what
1: I meant. I I, I don't think uh, it's like zero self, but like it's um it's very um at the beginning. It's it's definitely a strong seed that uh, with proper watering and nutrients can grow very fast. Actually. So for sure there is that, and at the same time, it's it can cause a lot of pain if uh, if we just say turn towards yourself, like oh, but I'm I'm not very sure what is that.
2: Yeah, that can be very anxiety provoking because it can feel like this empty, aqueous kind of space inside this this void. Um, so just in in kind of answering. This obvious question, um, I don't think that there's one kind of simple simple way to do it. it it's a long time, um, but I know when it does come up in, in the work that I do, I, it often comes up in the sense of clients will say, well, what do you think I should do? And so I, I'm very mindful in how I answer that question, particularly, say, if it is somebody that has come out of um, that kind of upbringing, is, is sharing, you know, like I can share with you, but I, I hesitate to because I, I'd like to create a space where it's safe to start to explore and you don't have to get it kind of quote unquote right or wrong or anything like that but the the act here to be done is to to explore and to ask yourself and to be able to have that dialogue and not worry about getting it right or wrong necessarily but to to start speaking and start sharing from from yourself in a safe place in an environment where you can explore it and that cage is not going to be there. Or I might help mitigate that cage, for example.
0: <clears throat> that, that's a very um, uh, inviting and kind way of, of doing it. I contrast it with sometimes how I do it, um, although with slightly <laughs> different clientele. Um, I simply ask why. You know, clients will say, "Well, will say, well, I can't do this, mm-hmm. or, or I shouldn't do this," and like, and I literally, I'll go, "Well, why?" And and often they're a bit taken aback by a challenge. I'm not particularly harsh about it, but I'm like, "Well, okay, but where does this come from? Mm-hmm. Why can't you do this? Well, because it's wrong. Well, why is it wrong? Who says it's wrong? Do you say it's wrong?" Uh, maybe it is. Yeah, maybe absolutely. That's fine, but but what about you?
1: So it's really that um, very um, rigorous and uh, consistent kind of um, training of um, tuning into oneself, like uh, bringing what what is one's own voice um, mm-hmm. to the table, rather than. Um, all the time saying, "Well, yeah, this is because this is what my partner wants, and this is what my mom wants." Like asking, "But why is that?" And understanding what is my own versus what comes from a foreign, you know, um, source. And I like what a lot what you said, Chelsea, about uh, um, that speaking up oneself and what one wants. Not only doesn't mean that someone needs to do it necessarily, but it's it's. Um it should be beyond um, judgment, like uh-huh. this is a mistake or this is wrong. So initially, it's simply this dialogue: like, uh, what is it that you want? What is it that you feel? What what do you sense? What's what's speaking in you? Mm-hmm. That's that's very important to absolve that, uh, you know, moralistic, false moral um, dichotomy between good and bad, and first to leave that open space. Tell me, how is it for
2: you? And two, th- that I think it's so important that the the dialogue and that speaking not be threatening and not be judged um, because just, just to dialogue about it is not the action, but they can be so conflated. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people can feel very afraid to speak from themselves because then they're nailed to that cross, for example. Um, but it doesn't have to be that way. You, c- you can speak and we can dialogue and there there is space enough and we're not yet at the point of kind of choosing the position, perhaps.
1: Yeah, what a strange example, He <laughs> was being nailed to the cross. Just, <laughs> yeah, but it, it kind of feels that way. But yeah, so you are distinguishing between First perceiving what is there, the values, then sensing one's own, right? What? And then, uh, as you said, coming to one's own position. What, uh, where do I stand on this? And then choosing what to do. So it, there is a process. But it starts with simply um, for someone being respected as who they are, invited, seen for who they are, and then uh, asked, how is it for you? and then helping them to take a position what is right for you and after that <laughs> committing to an action so even even um, acknowledging that process may alleviate some anxieties the fact that um, i feel that something is right i can still sit with it and and be with it it doesn't uh, nail me to the cross to go back to that metaphor yeah so it's um, th- i i think that's I would say that that's the process I engage with too. Is with clients who have like moral dilemmas or m- recovering from moral injuries. It's really recovering the person, recovering their sense of self and their trust in themselves. Many people don't trust their gut.
0: <coughs> uh, absolutely. It, um I think I've mentioned this many times before. I'm going to say it again. It's that little exercise that I like doing with clients. The I call it the boundary exercise where <coughs> I stand in one corner and they stand in another and they approach me step by step until such a point before, I try and make this very clear, never they never listen, um, and before they become uncomfortable. And invariably <coughs> they'll go a little bit too far and go, oh, that's too uncomfortable. and Then I get them to move back. And then we kind of play with that line. So that they can start to feel the difference between comfortable, uncomfortable, comfortable, uncomfortable. Kind of an you know, I call it that boundary feeling. But it's, it, and that's about, again, the same thing, paying attention. Listening to when my body, go, when my stomach goes, mm, I don't really like this. Right? And not just ignoring it or dismissing it. Um,
1: so uh, a question like um, I, we asked before, but uh, asking in a different way. Why is it so important to... Do all this work to <laughs> to listen to our moral conscience? If we already are told how to act properly in, in society and in partnerships and all that, why why is it so important? And what are the risks uh, beyond feeling turmoil if if we act against or if we don't pay attention? And how can how come that we can trust this gut feeling above <laughs> all the cultural you know norms traditions? religion, what the church is telling us how come that we, we come back to oh trust your God feeling
0: that's a good question I have an answer
1: <laughs>
0: Chelsea <laughs> see I'm abdicating responsibility
1: <laughs> <laughs> it is it is an honest uh, I know so it's, it's an, it honest, is, question. It an honest question I don't have an answer
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, what's coming up for me is so that I can so that I can live with myself. So that I can stand with myself. I, I think that's the question you were mm-hmm. asking. Mm-hmm. It's kind of escaping me right now, yeah. but the why the importance mm-hmm. of coming, of detecting the the moral conscious.
1: Total, totally. Uh, to live with myself and to live my own life in accordance uh-huh. with, with myself and not in a selfish way, but only when I'm connecting with myself, I can do justice to others. Like if I don't do justice to myself and, um, act in accordance with what I sense that is right, I can never do justice to another person. I think it's a lie. It's as as much as uh, the lie that goes, oh I hate myself but I love him so much or I love her so much. I think that's <laughs> that's a very um very much a lie. It's the same with the moral conscience. If I if I refuse to stay with myself and to ask myself what is right and to do that right for myself and, and for others and to live from that place, it's unlikely I can be a just person with anyone else. And uh, this is the only way we can live our life like authentically and meaningfully. I think that um, um, living in accordance with the moral conscience is also the gate to meaning, to a meaningful life, because you detect the valuable possibilities and what uh, what is right for my life. So, yeah, I agree with you, Chelsea, to live with ourselves in a meaningful, authentic way and to do justice to others and to relate to others in a good way that allows them to to be themselves.
0: Yeah, to to relate to them as they are. Mm -hmm. I can't relate to them as they are if I Mm -hmm. am not who I am.
1: If If I don't know what does justice to myself and what is right, there is no way I can do justice to you and I can see you for who you are especially if you are very different from me. And this is when the problem of uh, differences enters, right? In, in um, ethics, for example, like to do justice to someone who's different, right? And I don't talk necessarily about uh, gender, race, but simply different e- even um, on a, as a person, as a temperament. Like I, to, to really make room for them and to see them, I need to know myself and to have that feeling of what is right, to let them be in their own right.
0: So, what about if we've got, let's say, we've got some listeners out there who have potentially contravened their moral conscience, mm-hmm. with without knowing, or um, and they're sitting and struggling. How how might we help them, kind of. Not just reconnect with their moral conscience, but also overcome that that injury, that wound. That,
1: that is a great question. That's a great question, Sav. I think it's. Um, by uh, encouraging them to first of all to recognize, and then there is a special form of, of grieving of grief that uh, that is actually grieving for oneself for transgressing one'self because what we do when we we, um, don't we do not follow our moral yeah. conscience um, willingly or unwillingly mm-hmm. right there is a self transgression there we act against ourselves, we violate ourselves, so that's a loss huge loss to to violate myself and a huge wound to and so it's it's a special kind of kind of mourning, which is more like on remorse, regret, and then uh, forgiving oneself through that process and um, reconnecting with oneself through that process of truly regretting and being remorseful, like mourning for the um, for the wound that we inflicted on ourselves. It's a, it's a hard process, very unpleasant plo- process, but essential. But it's, there is a possibility to, to say, wow, I, I was so wrong. And I, I did an injustice to myself and to others, and I did the wrong thing. This doesn't correspond to me. And to feel that sorrow, and then to recommit to, to acting differently in the future, like in, in accordance with oneself.
2: I think you said it very beautifully. I I don't have more to add to it.
0: No, absolutely. It's it's just just the ideas of transgressing yourself or abandoning yourself or um it's it's a I don't know if it's a novel concept but it certainly was to me when when it first came up in the training that that you could ever abandon yourself. Mm-hmm. Um just that idea to kind of go, "Oh, okay." Yeah, and then you can recognize instances where maybe maybe not terribly awful, but just smaller instances where you have and and where you, where you haven't acted in accordance with yourself and how difficult that was and how and how you still remember it or um uh, and yeah.
1: Yeah, and also maybe perhaps to, to just bring it back a little bit beyond um individualistic, you know, perspective, like not to leave the listeners the impression again that this is such a so individualistic act. I just tune into myself and do what I feel is right, whatever I feel is right, and whatever I feel is right. It's n- there is nothing of that sort. It's really um we are acting morally or from our moral conscious in a in a context in which we take into consideration values, we are empathic, we are compassionate. And ultimately a a moral act, like a personally moral act. Doesn't lead to harming others. Actually, we we say even more that whenever I act uh, um, as a person, I cannot harm. I can hurt, for sure. <laughs> that when I speak my truth and like I I may I may absolutely uh, hurt some people, but if I'm if I speak as a person, like in accordance with my moral conscience and with that intent, I cannot harm, mm-hmm. in the sense I cannot damage or wound.
0: Yeah, the the kind of again the visual that that comes up for me there is is, um, I stand in my place, mm-hmm. and I say my what I say or my piece. I don't come into your space and aggress you. Is the diff- is it you know kind of that? I, I, it might be what you what what I say might might be be hurtful, but I'm doing it from my position, not in yours, not at you, not through you.
1: Yeah, that highlights the importance of. Uh, um Adopting and achieving that position, that uh, personal positioning. Yes, you are right. So it's not, I'm not coming after you or against you. I simply speak from my moral ground. And also this, um, how we act morally as persons, right? Like as individuals has an impact on how we act uh, ethically and morally at the level of society. I mean, we talk a lot about social justice these days. In particular... But sometimes I think there is a bit of a rhetoric that uh, uh, is bypassing mm-hmm. this uh, the individual moral conscience, and we can easily be, you know, uh, swept into some some kind of a rhetoric without finding our own moral position that you are talking about. So, but I think the two are very connected. We can be just and act justly as a society, as groups, if each person acts as a person and is connected with their moral conscience. I don't see how like, by um, telling people what social justice is and like everyone agreeing to, to a group thing, um, we can actually enact social justice, and maybe that explains the failures over time in enacting true social justice, in spite of the numerous attempts, which I think are great that there are, but I think it's again like returning to um, to sensing what is right. Mm-hmm. To what connects us with everyone else as persons, acting from that place of compassion, and what is right. I think it's a is the source of what we can see then on a larger scale as social justice.
2: Just in summary, then we would like to invite you to our next existential question, um, to just turn toward that voice inside if you can think of a situation in the past or or presently uh, that you're faced with um, what, what voice are you listening to how do you detect that gut sense that inner voice and if you sit with it what might you do thank you for listening with us today And looking forward to speaking with you again next time.
0: Follow us on Instagram at existentialistpodcast. And let us know your answer to today's existential question. To learn more about us, listen to and learn about other episodes, visit our website at existentialistpodcast.com.